The title of the message tonight is, How to Keep Your Cool When Everything Goes Wrong. Now, how do you like that for a sermon title? How many of you would say, sometimes it's hard for you to keep your cool when everything goes wrong? Please let it be known by saying amen. amen. All of us have that problem. I'll tell you what happened to me maybe six, eight, ten months ago. I have, and, and let me get this out there at the beginning, I have AT&T for my home phone, Comcast for my cable. And I know we have people that work for both those companies. I want to say at the beginning, I love AT&T and I love Comcast. I endorse both. I'm a happy customer of both companies. But here's what happened. I would get home at night and I would pick up my phone and it was dead on the other end. It was, it was, it was not, I couldn't call out. People couldn't call in. And so I called AT&T. I told them about the problem. I said, could you guys come and fix it? And the guy they sent out there was so nice. He was so super nice. And I thought we had it fixed, but indeed it was not fixed. And this happened two or three times, and I thought, well, you know, I've got Comcast for my cable. I should get Comcast for my phone. I should package the deal, save $10 a month, right? That's what I should do. And so I called Comcast, and I said that that's what I wanted to do, and ask if they could send somebody out to hook me up with a Comcast phone, and then I could have it bundled together. They said, absolutely. So they made the appointment. The guy came out there. He set up my phone. He, you know, if you do a Comcast phone, you have to have a little box. And so they had that all set up just right. And while he was there, I'm always one of those guys who want to kill two birds with one stone. And so I said, hey, while you're here, I've had a little problem with my TV. And maybe you could work on that. Well, actually, he was a phone guy, not a TV guy. But he was a willing soul, and he launched into the job. Well, while he was working on this, I got a phone call from Maryland. And I took the call from this lady, a good friend who called from up there. And I was talking to her. I wasn't paying attention to what all he was doing. He ends up leaving. He said, I got your phone's good. TV's good. I got to go. I said, man, thank you so much for coming. I finished my phone call. When I finished, I was on my cell. I said, well, I want to check out my, how this is all working. I picked up my phone, dead, nothing working. I turned on my TV, now it's fuzzy and it's not working. I thought, what kind of day am I having? I called, the phone, I called to get my phone fixed, now I lost my TV. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty bad. TV, phone's still not working and now my TV's out. So I called a friend later on and he came over and he fixed my, 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 got my TV back fixed. And, but I still had the phone issue. And so I called Comcast back. They were so nice. And they said, well, here's the deal. On where you live, evidently, for whatever reason, it's not saying we can't fix it, but it's going to be a challenge to get this just right. And so I said, well, let me think about what to do. And so I said to myself, I need to go back to AT&T. I was feeling called back to AT&T. So I called AT&T, and I said, listen, I, I told him that whole long story. I said, Comcast has been so nice, but my TV still, my phone rather, is still not working. Could I just come back home to AT&T? And the lady said, uh, well, we'd be glad to have you back, but you would be a new customer and we would need to do a financial check on you, a background check. I said, ma'am, I've been a customer for like 12 or 13. I, I, I've basically been a customer with you for 25 years. I said, I've never been late. Every, she said, yeah, but you did break up with us. <laughs> You're a new customer. We have our rules. And so this is what we've got to do. I said, well, if that's the case, I'll be willing to go through the background check because I really want to come back with you and I really want to be able to keep my home number. She said, well, sir, that's no longer an option. You can't have that number back. 
I said, why not? She said, because now Comcast owns that number. I said, man, I always love that number. Is there any way I can get it back? She said, you can go back to Comcast if you want to. I said, well, no, I want to go with you, but now we've got this background. She said, i tell you what, this is a complicated case. Let me work on it. I'll have somebody to call you. Later in the day, some lady called me from Kansas, and she was high up in AT&T. And she said, sir, I'm going to help you with this situation. She was so nice. I nearly offered to take her out to dinner. She was so nice to me. But she was in Kansas, and I couldn't do it anyway. But anyway, and so... Well, we kind of struck up a nice friend. I said, I know I can't get my number back. She said, no, you can't. Comcast has the rights to that number. I mean, do you get the point of where this sermon's going? How to keep your cool when everything goes wrong. That's what, the point I'm trying to make. And she said, you're going to have to get a new number. And I said, well, ma'am, I understand that. But I said, you know, in my mind, when a man gets a new phone number, that's like a major thing in a man's life. That's a big deal. I want a good number. She said, that's really a big deal to you, sir, your number? I said, it's a very big deal. I said, could you give me some numbers to choose from? <laughs> Read them out. And if the numbers sound good to me, I'll tell you which one I like best. And so she said, I'll be glad to, to do She said, I've, I don't know that I've ever had this request. <laughs> she, and so she typed it in. She said, there are five numbers in your neighborhood that are available. You can have them, any of them. I said, read them to me. And so she starts reading the numbers, and at the very end, I, want, I always like numbers to associate with things so I can remember. And at the very end, she had given me the area code, she had given me the prefix, and then she said, on this particular number, the last two numbers are 0247. And I said, ma'am, that is the number I would like. She said, well, how, how did you make that decision? I said, my parents have two sons, and my father's high school football jersey was number 47. Give me that number right now. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Now, I can't remember the first part of the number, but I remember those last four. <laughs> but I look back on that, and I think, you know, did I keep my cool when everything went wrong? I don't know that I I might have gotten warm, but I didn't get hot. Does that make sense? I mean, I think I did okay in that. I was nice to everybody, but I have to tell you, it was very frustrating. And I think sometimes in life, we go through something like that, and we say, man, everything is going wrong. Everybody's against me. I can't get anybody to cooperate. And, it's, it, it, and as I said in the outline, look in the outline how I said this tonight. I said, sometimes it seems as though everything is going wrong. At times like this, we tend to get aggravated, frustrated, and just plain mad. Now, hopefully I didn't get mad. I don't think I did. I did get frustrated. Tonight, we will learn how we can keep our cool at times like this and in the process be a good reflection of Jesus Christ. And so, after that long story, are you still with me? Say amen. Open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Because in Habakkuk, we find a man and we find a country where everything was going wrong. In fact, it was bad and it was about to get worse. And God was saying to the prophet Habakkuk, things are not right in Israel, things are not right in Jerusalem, and it's going to go from bad to worse. And he's telling Habakkuk what his problem is. Now, here's what was happening. A brief background of this book. In around 600 B.C., the Jewish people living in Jerusalem were away from God. 
They were worshiping other gods. They, they were committing all kinds of acts of immorality. Sin was running rampant in Jerusalem. And so God says to Habakkuk, his prophet, he says, Habakkuk, I'm about to deal with the Jewish people. I'm about to deal with Jerusalem. I can't take this anymore. The wages of sin is death, and there's fixing to be some death here in Jerusalem. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, and the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar's leadership are coming into Jerusalem, and they are going to decimate this place. They're going to level this city, and my people are about to be punished for how badly they have been living. They'll be carried off into Babylonian captivity. And as Habakkuk was getting this word, he says back to God, God, why would you do something like this? Even though things are not right with the Jewish people, the Jewish people are still not as sinful as the Babylonians. Why would you use somebody even more sinful than the Jews to punish the Jews? And so Habakkuk and God are having this conversation. And God finally says to Habakkuk, he says, well, here's the deal. After the Babylonians are used by me to punish the Jewish people for what they've done, I then will punish the Babylonians... And eventually, I will bring the Jewish people back to Jerusalem. I will restore them to their homeland. But I'm telling you, Habakkuk, before it gets better, it's about to get a lot worse. So that's a brief background of what's happening in the book of Habakkuk as as we read about this. And yet, in this setting, Habakkuk tells us, he first tells the Jewish people, and that applies to us, how we can... I don't know if in this say, say to say keep cool, how we can keep a level head, how we can have some measure of peace, how we can stay sane when everything in, the, in our world is going wrong. And so the first thing that God says to Habakkuk, and it certainly applies for us tonight, we keep our cool by waiting patiently, by waiting patiently. You see, so many times when, like a situation like I just described with AT&T and Comcast, while I was waiting on all of that situation to get resolved, it's, it's during that time that we tend to get frustrated. It's while everything is not fixed. Again, my heart so goes out to those of you whose houses have been flooded and you're in the process of rebuilding, and that's not days or weeks, that's months. And for you tonight, you're in that in-between time. You've identified the problem. You know what it's going to take to get it fixed. But it's going to take four or five months until it all gets resolved. So you're living in the tension of in-between while things are not fixed. Things are up in the air. And this is how it was when God spoke to Habakkuk. Things were up in the air. And yet God is giving some counsel here that applies to us. Now, look back, for example, in in chapter 1 of Habakkuk. In verse number 2, look at what the prophet said to God. He said, O Lord... How long shall I cry and you will not hear me? Just underline those two words, how long. And then if you'll look in verse 3, the very first word, why. And then if you look in verse 13, right in the middle of the verse, why. And the first word of verse 14, why. And these are always the questions that we ask of God when we're waiting on situations to get resolved. God, why? Why? God, why would you allow this to happen? 
God, why would you have allowed my house to be flooded? God, why would you have allowed me to lose my job? God, why would you allow my loved one to get sick? God, why would you have allowed my loved one to die? God, why? God, and, and how long is it going to be until things get back to normal? How long do I, how long is, how long is this situation that I'm into now going to go on unresolved. Maybe somebody, I'll use a different illustration. Maybe somebody has drugged your name through the mud and God hasn't vindicated you yet. And you say, God, how long until you step in? How long until you set the record straight? How long until you defend me? How long until you vindicate me? God, why would you have allowed this to happen? And how long until you make it right? These are always the questions when we, that we ask when we're in that in the meantime, when we're in this, this, this season of unsettledness out here. God, how long until this situation is resolved? Well, that, those are honest questions, and those were the questions Habakkuk was asking, and those were the questions we asked. And in chapter 2 and in verse number 1, Habakkuk puts himself in a position to hear from God. And notice what he said. He said, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. And watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. And so Habakkuk had poured out his heart to God. Why, God? How long till it's resolved, God? But after all those questions, Habakkuk said, now it's time for me to be quiet. Now it's time for me to stop talking. It's time for me to stop questioning God. And it's time for me to listen and see what God will say to me. And let me commend you tonight for coming to church on this Wednesday night. Because did you know that when you came to the house of God tonight and put yourself under the authority of God's Word for these these moments, it's kind of like you've done tonight what Habakkuk did back then. You have stood your watch and you have set yourself on the rampart and you are watching to see what God will say to you tonight. Wouldn't it be an awesome thing in this room if there were people who honestly were tonight are like Habakkuk was back then? You're saying, man, I picked a good night to come to church because these are the questions I'm asking. Why and how long? Why and how long? And now you're listening. And now we're all listening because God's about to speak to us just like he spoke to Habakkuk. In fact, in chapter 2, if you look in verse 20, One of the greatest verses in the Bible, and we use this every January before we do our three-day media fast, but look at the verse. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Let's say that together or read that together. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Notice that word, silence. You go to a movie theater, and when they dim the lights... They always put up the thing on the screen that says silence is golden. Basically, they're saying everybody in here paid to watch this movie. Be quiet and don't mess it up for everybody else. Silence is golden. But you know, in most of our lives, silence is not golden. Silence is something that we don't like. For example, and I'm not going to do it because it would, be, it would be very awkward. But if I stood up tonight like I'm standing right here, and decided to be silent for three minutes. 
at the end of three minutes, that's going to be a very, that would be, that would be an awkward time. But that's what this verse says, the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. Why should we sometimes be silent? Because if we're not silent, we can't hear God speak. I remember years ago I was in a bank in January of a particular year, and I was talking to the girl who was either taking my money or giving me money, I can't remember, and... Uh, we got talking about the church, and she didn't go to our church, and we were talking about First Baptist, and, you know, how's your church doing? I said, well, we're doing God's blessing, doing great, thankfully, and I said, uh, we're doing a three-day media fast, and I described that to her. I said, we challenge our people for three days, no television, no internet, no texting, no Facebook, no Twitter, unless it's for family, none of that for three days. No radio when you're in the car. This girl is probably about 21 or 22. She said, no radio in the car? I said, no, we just ask everybody to turn the radio off for three days. She said, you mean like you're just, you're just riding down the road? You're just like, you're just like alone with your thoughts? <laughs> that was how she said that. I said, I guess you know, yeah, we're just alone with our thoughts. And she said, man, I don't think I can handle it. I said, well, kind of got to get used to that. But see, there's something about silence that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And yet what God knows and what Habakkuk knew is that if we're never silent, we have a hard time hearing from God. And so to those of you tonight who are asking, why did God allow this to happen? And how long until everything gets back to normal? Well, in a spirit of silence, even though I'm talking so we're not, it's not total silence. But let's listen tonight at how God answers that question. Number one, here's how to keep your cool. Here's how to make it when everything is going nuts in your life. Number one, by waiting patiently. You have to wait. Things don't get resolved. Uh, it's not like, you know, life is not a 30-minute sitcom where you have a problem and then you have it plays out and then by the end of the show everything's resolved and they tie a bow on it and it's done. Life's not like that. Chapter 2 and verse 2, the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Now watch verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. And it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. What was, what was God saying to Habakkuk? Well, he had given Habakkuk this vision that even though the Jewish people were about to be punished, they were about to be taken to Babylon, one day they would come back to their homeland. That was the vision. And at that time, of course, the temple would be rebuilt and everything would get back right. But God was saying, from the time I've given you this vision until the time this vision becomes a reality and comes to pass, there's going to be a lot of time that passes. And so you have to be willing to wait patiently. And he said, I love verse 3, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Now probably you have had times in your life when you had a vision from God. You may not have thought of it as a vision. You may have thought of it as a dream or as an idea or as a desire. 
Something you wanted to do. Something you thought God wanted you to do. A thought that God had put in your mind. A a dream that God had placed in your heart. And it's like God gave you that vision. And yet the vision hasn't become a reality yet. And you're wondering, when is this thing going to happen? Well, I don't know when it's going to happen. I know this. If it's of God, it will happen. And if it doesn't happen, it wasn't from God anyway. It was just a wild idea that you or I had. But what God is saying, when he gives us a vision, if we will wait that at the right time, that vision will come to pass and that vision will become a reality in our life. Think about it like this. In all of our lives, when we find ourselves kind of in the, in, in the between times here, problem and there hasn't been resolution, we're in between here. I believe, and the Bible teaches, that there is an appointed time and an appointed season where God will intervene and where God will make things right. I believe that with all my heart. I believe when a person gets sick, whether it's cancer or heart disease or MS or some other serious disease, I believe that there's where the problem began. I believe out there somewhere there is an appointed time where that person will be healed of that disease. Many times it happens on earth. Many times it happens in heaven. But every time it will eventually happen. But it's that in between. So there's an appointed time. And God knows we can't speed it up. And God knows we can't slow it down. There's this time that we're waiting on. And we have to wait knowing that God's time is best. And so we wait patiently. Now let me say something tonight about waiting. First of all. I've never met anybody who likes to wait on anything. And I don't like to wait on anything either. But I have learned this about waiting. Waiting time, this time in the middle, is not wasted time if we will learn to wait wisely. We're waiting on God to do so. I think a lot of times we have a problem, we're praying for a solution... And in our minds, we think as soon as there is a solution, as soon as the vision becomes a reality, as soon as the dream comes to pass, as soon as the problem is solved, then I'll be happy. But I think what God does is he lets this process many times play out for months, sometimes years, sometimes decades. God lets this process play out because God knows it is as we wait on him to meet the need, to solve the problem, to heal the disease, to vindicate our name, to do whatever it is we're waiting on God to do. It is while we're waiting on God to do those things that we're doing what? That we're seeking Him, that we're praying, that we're listening, that we're growing, that God is revealing things to us about ourselves, maybe character issues, things that we need to deal with. You know, it's interesting in the Bible... This whole idea of waiting, and again, nobody likes it. Turn, turn to the New Testament, James chapter 1. James is dealing with a very similar situation that Habakkuk was dealing with. And in James chapter 1, he says in verse number 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, he didn't say, my brethren, count it all joy after the trial is over with. No, when you fall into the trial, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
So here's the problem. We're waiting on the resolution. We're in the meantime. And God says, there's where your patience is going to be developed. We say, well, what's the big deal about patience? Well, look in verse 4. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. That means spiritually mature and complete, lacking nothing. And so there is a connection in the Bible between patience and spiritual maturity. And that's why sometimes God will let us wait for a long time because He is doing something far more important in our lives than whatever it is that we're waiting on. In our mind, if the problem is solved and the need is met, then I can just go on with my life, right? But in God's mind, He's saying, yes, if the problem is solved and the need is met, you can go on with your life, but you're going to go on with your life as immature as you were before I allowed the problem to come into your life in the first place. And so God says, I don't want to just meet the need and solve the problem just like that. So you can go on with your life. What I want to do is to transform you, to develop your faith, to purify your character, to make you more godly, to make you more like Jesus, to give you more patience, to give you more love, to do all these things that you need so that when when the need is met and the problem is solved and you go on with your life, you're going on with your life as a completely different person than you, you would have been if I would have met the need immediately like you were hoping that I would do. And so I would say to the person tonight who's waiting on God, listen to what God said to Habakkuk. And that is, hey, the vision is yet for an appointed time. One day that need will be met. One day that disease will be healed. One day that problem will be solved. One day there will be divine intervention and vindication if needed. That is the vision. But listen to what he said. The vision is yet for an appointed time. At the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Isn't that interesting? In one place, God says, though it tarries, wait for it. And two lines later, he says, it will not tarry. Now, you want to know, well, now, which one is it? You said, it, it will sh- though it tarries, so it's taking a long time. But then the end, you say, it will not tarry. I remember years ago. We were on one of our trips to Israel, and we had gone on this particular trip to the country of Jordan so that we could go see Petra. It's an amazing, amazing place. And this was in the spring of 2010. And we had gotten to our hotel late that night, and I'd gotten to my room, and it was about 9, and most everybody was going to go down and have a big dinner, and I just thought, man, at night, maybe it was 10. And I just thought, I don't want to go have a huge meal this late at night, so I think I'm going to just stay in my room, have some snacks, and then I'll just go to bed a little bit early. And so here I'm in this beautiful, beautiful hotel. Now, it's a Muslim hotel because we're in a Muslim nation, but it was a beautiful hotel. And I was just in there and kind of unpacking my bags and thinking, and like the girl said, alone with my thoughts, that's where I was, and alone with God. And God put something on my heart. And I started praying about it. And I was praying and and just asking God about a particular situation. And it was like, I mean, I say it was like God spoke to me. I think it was more than that. I think God spoke to me in that hotel, in that Muslim hotel in Petra. And here's what God said to me. God said, this thing that you're praying about in your life may not be resolved soon. But it will be resolved quickly. 
You've, you, you know God as well as I do, and you've had times when God has spoken to you and given you. Now, God doesn't speak to me in sentences like that. It was kind of like God said to me, or God just spoke to me, and she kind of said, as I was praying about a particular situation, not necessarily soon, but quickly. And I processed that, that whole night there in the hotel. And the next day, I'm processing that. Now, God, what do you mean, soon? And the only thing I could figure out about that was God was saying, on this situation in your life, I'm not going to necessarily deal with that soon. I'm not going to necessarily deal with that next week or next month or next year or five years from now or ten years from now. But I hear your prayer, and one day I'm going to deal with that, and when I deal with it, it's going to be quick. Not soon, but quick. And I think that's what God was saying to Habakkuk. Though it tarries, wait for it. In the end, it will not tarry. When God gets ready to do something, God does it quickly. It's kind of like the return of Christ. Many people say that, you know, some Bible translations say, like in Revelation, Jesus, you know, Jesus they, have, they translate to say, Jesus said, I'm coming soon. It's a bad translation. Jesus didn't say, I'm coming soon. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. May be soon, may not be soon. We don't know when it's going to be. But whenever he comes, he's coming quickly. And so what I'm saying to you now is that, I mean, I was so encouraged by what the Lord had spoken to me that night. And I'll tell you, go on with that story. A night or two later, we were in another hotel in the, at the Dead Sea. And I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking about what God had told me in Jordan. Not necessarily soon, but when it happens, it'll be quick. And I was reflecting on that. And God spoke to my heart and God said, when I do it, when I, this thing you're praying about, you will know beyond the shadow of any doubt that it was me. You won't have to wonder about it, worry about it, ask 15 people what they think. You will know in your heart that it was my working. And so how encouraging of a message is this to those of you tonight who have a problem, you're praying for resolution, and you're in the, mean, in the middle of that, nothing seems to be happening, everything is going wrong. Here's the message tonight from God through me to you. God says, I see your situation, I hear your prayer, one day the problem will be solved, the need will be met, it may not be soon, but when it happens, it will be quick, and God says, when I do it, you will know beyond the shadow of any doubt that it was my doing. Folks, I'm telling you what, that was, if I don't say anything else, that was worth coming to church for right there. Not necessarily soon, but quick. Turn to the person next to you and say, it may not be soon, but it'll be quick when it happens. Tell them that. They need to, to hear that from you and not just from me. Okay. That's so good, we could almost end it and go home. But do you want me to keep going? Okay, I'll keep going. Even though you didn't ask me to, I'll keep going. So that, how do we keep our cool? We wait patiently. Number two, by trusting totally. By trusting totally. In verse 4, God said, Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. I believe in this context, when he's talking about the proud, he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. And what he was saying to, as we read the rest of the, if we read the rest of that chapter, what he's saying to Habakkuk is, I'm going to deal with Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to deal with the Babylonians. I'm, they are pawns in my hand. I'm using them to discipline my people, but I'll eventually deal with them. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. But then he says, but the just shall live by his faith. So, here we are in the meantime. Problem, not, no resolution yet. We believe and we know that there will be a resolution. 
may not be soon, but it'll be quick when it happens. And when it happens, we're going to know that it was of God. We won't have to wonder, neither anybody else who's sensitive to the Spirit. They'll know too. So what do we do in the meantime? We have to trust God. The just shall live by his faith. It's interesting. This verse here is quoted three times in the New Testament. The just shall live by his faith. Say that with me. The just shall live by his faith. It's quoted in Romans chapter 1, would be the most well-known New Testament place where this is quoted. This is the verse that the monk, the Catholic monk, Martin Luther, was reading out of Romans chapter 1 when he got saved. Martin Luther's testimony is similar to mine. His stature is much larger than mine, but his testimony is similar to mine in that before Luther was saved, he loved God with all of his heart. He was devout. And yet he felt like that being a conscientious soul, he needed to do all that he could to gain God's approval, to earn God's acceptance. And so Luther used to fast until he fainted almost, maybe literally or maybe almost. He used to beat himself with whips to demonstrate to God how sorry he was for his sins. Now, I've never done either one of those things. But the spirit of what Luther did, I can relate to. He was always trying to make himself acceptable to God. One day, he was studying in Romans chapter 1, preparing to give a lecture to others living in the monastery. And as he was studying from Romans chapter 1, he came across this phrase... The just shall live by his faith. And when he read that, he said, it's like the lights came on. And for the first time in his life, he was able to see that salvation does not come as a result of praying, fasting, beating yourself, proving to God how sorry you are, or trying to do a lot of other good things, that salvation comes by trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as Luther was preparing to give a lecture to others in that monastery, he read that, and for the first time in his life, he trusted Christ, and he was saved. And after that began the Protestant Reformation, and the world as we know it in Christianity was changed because of this verse. So how does that apply to us? Well, certainly if you've never been saved, we tr you trust Christ to save you. But for those of us who have been saved, what do we do? We keep trusting Christ. Don't think that trusting Christ is what you do just at the beginning of the Christian life. Trusting Christ is what you do at the beginning and throughout the Christian life. Write this verse down, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6 says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you receive Christ Jesus? By faith. How do you continue in Christ? By faith. You just keep trusting God. And so I'm saying tonight to that person who says, man, John, everything's going wrong in my life. I'm trying to keep cool. I'm saying to you tonight, God's saying to you tonight, you just keep trusting. You just keep trusting. Just like you trusted God at the beginning, you trust Him now, and He will see you through. And then the last thing we do, not only do we wait patiently, and not only do we trust totally, but we, re but we keep our cool by rejoicing no matter what. Now, in chapter 3, if you look in verse 17, 
These are three great verses that Habakkuk ends his book with. He's, you're talking about a man who was rejoicing in the Lord when everything was still going wrong. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive oil may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, that is, sure-footed. And he will make me walk on my high hills. Now, it's interesting. In verse 17, Habakkuk is telling us everything that's going wrong in his life and in the nation of Israel at this time. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herds in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, how could Habakkuk rejoice with all those things going wrong? Well, I'll tell you how. Because Habakkuk was rejoicing in the Lord. In other words, his attitude of praise was not dependent upon how many figs there were on the tree, or how many cattle there were in the stalls, or how many olives there were. It was dependent on any of that. His ability to rejoice was dependent upon his relationship with the Lord, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And so tonight, as you're in that in-between time waiting for God to resolve this situation, remember this. You have God with you now in the meantime. In other words, the presence of God while you wait is actually more important than whatever it is that you're waiting on. I mean, the presence of God, that, I, he said, I will rejoice in the Lord. How could Paul in Philippians from a Roman prison say, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. The theme of the book is rejoicing. Here's a man in prison, chained up. He's saying, yeah, but in my heart, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Why? Because that's where his joy was. His joy was in the Lord. Many of you have heard about Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you haven't. But for those who haven't, when she, she, today she's probably in her 60s, I would guess, late 50s or early 60s. She's a wonderful Christian. She is a, uh, a writer. She's a painter. But she writes and paints differently than most people because she has to write and paint with her mouth because she's a quadriplegic, has no use of her hands or legs, arms or legs. When she was a teenager, she was paralyzed in a diving accident, taken to the hospital, pronounced a quadriplegic, and told that she would be this way for the rest of her life. There was nothing that could be done. While she was in the hospital, she got saved and... God began to change her life, and God began to change her attitude. And even though her circumstances didn't change, she changed. And she has one of the most outstanding, powerful testimonies of anybody I know anything about. And now, with her mouth, she paints pictures, she paints postcards. And to look at it, you would think that Norman Rockwell himself or some famous artist had done it with her hand. And she is so positive, and she loves the Lord so much. Interestingly enough, 10 or 15, 20 years ago, she was actually married. And a, uh, she married a wonderful Christian, and he viewed it as his role in life and his privilege in life to care for her since she cannot care for herself. It's a beautiful love story. 
Someone asked her one time, Johnny, if you could ask God to heal you, which I'm sure you have, by the way, but this person said, if you could ask God to heal you, and you knew that God would do it, would you ask God to heal you? And she said back to that pastor who asked that question, she said, yes, I, of, course, of course I would. I would love to be able to run and walk and use my arms and my legs, and I would, I, yes, I would ask God to heal me. But she said, I'll be honest with you, I have one concern, I would have one concern about being healed. And the pastor said, you would have a concern about being healed? And she said, I would want to be healed, but I would have one concern about being healed. And the pastor said, what, what would you be concerned about being healed? She said, well, it's going to sound strange to you, I know. But she said, for me, the most precious time of my day is bedtime. And she said, when they, I guess her husband and maybe a healthcare, she said, whoever they is, when they put me in my bed for the night, and then walk out of the room and close the door. She said, I am alone with the Lord. There's nobody there but me and him until morning. And she said, my only concern with being healed is that if I got healed, I might lose some of my intimacy with God. Because if I had the ability to walk, if I had the ability to run, if I had the ability to use a computer, if I had the ability to do what everybody else does, when I go to bed at night, I might miss out on that closeness I have with God. And so she said, yes, I would still ask to be healed, but that would be my concern. Now, I share that story to end this message tonight to say this. For those of you, you have a problem, you're waiting on resolution, you're in the meantime... You're waiting patiently. You're trusting God totally. I'm adding to that what Habakkuk says in his book. I challenge you tonight to rejoice in the Lord. Because remember this. God never would have allowed this unsettled time to go on in your life for, so long, for as long as it has if he didn't have a fantastic goal in mind. And that's what Johnny Erickson Tata was saying. She was saying, even though I can't walk, even though I can't do any of those things, I can still rejoice in the Lord because I am very much aware of His presence. And so tonight, my prayer for each of you who is waiting on something to be fixed, resolved, settled, is that God would help you in the meantime to focus on Him, to enjoy His presence. Yeah, you keep praying for resolution. You can t that's fine. But in the meantime, instead of being you know, obsessed with that or fixated on that or that's all you ever think about, just to say, Lord, while I'm waiting, help me to learn to rejoice in you because after all, God, you're more important than whatever I'm waiting on. Amen. Father, take this message tonight and seal it to our hearts. Help us to be good waiters. Lord, help us to trust you. And God, teach us to rejoice in you no matter what else may be going crazy all around us. With heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, if you've never been saved, it may be that God has orchestrated this period you're in 
so that you could come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. God allowed you to get in the situation you're in now so that he could have your full attention, and he has it. You're in church on a Wednesday night. Would you pray right now? If you don't know for sure that you're saved, just pray this. Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Thank you that you'll never leave me. And Lord, during this next song, give me the courage to come forward to share my decision with the minister here at the front. Others tonight with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you ask God to give you grace to wait on the vision that he has given you to become a reality? Father, may your will be done during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said, Amen.